0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast, edition. This is Cece. And this is Claire. And greetings, listeners. This is our Letter to the Podcaster edition of our 27th series of Sundition, And we cannot wait for you to hear from our guest today. Her name is Asia, and she is here with us right now.
1: Hi, everyone. It is great to be here. Thank you both for inviting me on. Um, My name is Asia Fee. I'm calling in from Alaska currently and I am a chemist, a content creator, and business owner of Alchemist Asia.
0: Very nice. Um, uh, So we've obviously talked before, and I think one thing that you've yet to mention is uh, like Color Guard as well. You Mm -hmm. used to do Color Guard in your high school.
1: Yes, so, I'm also something I don't get to advertise as much anymore just because I'm really involved in the STEM field is I'm also a previous guard member as well as a color guard coach. So um, I did color guard from grade eight up until leaving my community college. And I started coaching when I was actually 15. Uh, So super young uh, to be a coach, but I was a volunteer coach for the local junior high. So I taught kids who were a little below my grade and then eventually ended up on my team at some point just because
0: of the age difference. Yeah, Um, I would say like teaching is pretty hard (laughs) or like coaching kids. Um, I started coaching little kids to swim and the amount of people of kids who don't pay attention to you (laughs) is like really annoying.
2: Oh yeah. yeah. Especially in like the younger age range from like what five to like nine. They won't listen to yeah. you. Or middle so
0: schoolers too. Yeah. It's definitely I think patience is a big thing. Oh definitely. Yes. <laughs> Did you have any insta- instances like that?
1: Where I had to like test my patience? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I mean, whether it be on the high school team itself or like with the kiddos Mm. myself, yes, all the time, Um, just because, especially with the the junior high level, um, I hardly had kids who did color guard previously. Every year, it was a new group of kids who have never even heard of Color Guard. A lot of them were just kind of introduced to it because we would promote it. So there was never any like returning students. And if if there were, they were under my own studies. So they were still learning stuff every year, just because as I got exposed to more techniques, they got to learn it as well. But um, you have to understand that even though you know how it works and like, oh, this move might be super easy for you, it doesn't necessarily translate to them right away. So having that patience for what may seem like an easy move for you could be difficult for them. And so I had to be super patient when teaching routines just because um, sometimes the memorization isn't there in the muscle memory. So if I teach them a routine that takes like maybe 30 seconds to perform, it could take up to a couple of weeks for them to like really retain it just because they need to use that muscle to like actually practice it out instead of just like watching it if that makes any sense so right, yeah. tons of patience yeah
2: <laughs> just for our listeners who aren't sure what color guard is how would you describe it to them oh my goodness so I've
1: been called a flag twirler um oh. or the, the on the side person of the band so if you've ever watched marching band and you see those people in the yeah. right forms and throwing things in the air that's essentially what I do so the color guard team um it's it's called something different everywhere you go Um, If you're a Navy brat or a military brat, um, color guard can mean something completely different. Um, In a sense, it's almost the same. So that's the people who are holding the rifle and they have a specific routine that they perform for the military. Um, And it kind of got changed as it became a performing arts. So it's a little separate from that. So when they handle like the rifles, they do a lot of like um, movement and routine with the actual rifle itself. With Color Guard, where um, it is now a performing art in like you know high schools and junior highs and in uh, performative spaces, it's a lot of using flags. Um, we do use rifles, but they're not like actual rifles that you can shoot with. Most of them are like wooden and like completely taped up. Uh, we also use sabers and just all sorts of equipment. But it's a lot of technique using your hands, your entire body, and throwing things in the air and catching them and telling a story essentially with it, whether you be on the field with marching
0: band or indoors doing Winter Guard. And what did you, what do you like about Color Guard specifically?
1: Um, I really liked,
0: oh my gosh. I mean, don't get me wrong, the exercise
1: was like super great too, but it is just a great way to combine a lot of things that I like. So I love dancing where like a lot of people are like, okay, I'm a little uncomfortable dancing just because you are the highlight yourself. Like you're kind of like what's telling the story. Mm -hmm. Whereas Color Guard, it's a combination of tools and equipment as well as your own body. So maybe like if you're insecure about your body, like I was growing up, um, it was kind of nice to be able to perform like that, but use like tools to kind of like assist with it. And um, I also really love music, but um, I'm actually not that musically inclined. I I can't play any instruments. So this was like a great like entryway to get into it. And um, oh my gosh, I think just hearing like the sounds that it makes too, when you go and see other color guards perform and seeing everything go in unison, it is incredible. It is super, super cool just to see all the bright colors like up in the air and amazing heights and super cool tricks. People are constantly like coming up with new innovative ways to make Color Guard just absolutely unique. And I think that's what I love most about it is because it's not like cheer, it's not like band, it's something completely unique to its own.
0: I see. I mean, you mentioned a lot of like, you already said that it's really cool to see other people perform their routines. Um, Do you have a favorite routine that you remember from your own uh, like team? Definitely, I think
1: my favorite one uh, was, I don't know if you guys have heard the song Sail by like AWOL Nation. Um, I would sing it, but I'm not a good singer. (laughs) (laughs) Like it just says sail over and over, but uh, we did that one my sophomore year of high school. And it was super cool because no one was doing this sort of um, theme that we were doing. So it was very robotic. So it was actually like a Skrillex remix of the song. Oh. So it was dark and heavy, but like really like um, edgy sounding. Mm-hmm. And normally a lot of the songs are really artsy and uplifting or like emotional. This one was supposed to be like the opposite of that. So like no emotion whatsoever. It was kind of be like, um like very pop, pop, ap- apocalyptic, like something like that, you know, post-apocalyptic, like kind of feel where it's just like totally different. And I loved, the, I loved the song. It was super fun. And it was a really cool performance. And it was also the first time we got first. So my freshman year, we were actually not that good because we were a whole new group of students and none of us had ever been in color guard. And we scored, I think, seventh in our like uh, division. And that next year we did the sale one where we just absolutely kicked it. And we got first um, in every single competition that we went to. So it definitely has to be my favorite because it was my first time getting first place and it was just a really good show. Like I think about it to this day.
2: <laughs> Do you have any struggles when it comes to Color Guard? Cause we just talked about memories, but we also have to give light to the, you know, not so fun parts.
1: Yes. So I think one of the biggest struggles about Color Guard is your abilities. So at one point, there's going to be a time where you're like, I can't do something. And whether you take the time to train yourself to do it, like totally cool, but there's going to be a point where you're really pushing yourself and it's going to be a lot of strain on you. So, um, I mean, there's times where we would do like work where I felt like we could do more advanced stuff, but you're only as strong as I wouldn't like to say, it, but like the weakest members. So if someone's not able to do that, then we can't do that move together because, someone's move wouldn't come through the way we want it to tell the story and on the other end too um we would still need to be rigorous so you know the part of it is like um trying new things so with that if you can't like try some of that new stuff sometimes you're holding yourself back but it does become a struggle when you're trying to push yourself to do these new moves and right away you don't get it immediately and so you're kind of like mad at yourself like oh my gosh why am I not getting it and then like after like taking the time to practice, it is totally worth it in the end. But that was probably the hardest part for me was trying to understand moves that I didn't understand quickly, just because I'm the type of person that's like, I need to know it like right away or else I'm just gonna like, hate my life.
0: (laughs) Are there any like moves that you were like, is there a move that you remember really like
1: Yes. So, I mean, I love all equipment. Um, I think rifle was one of my favorite, but I think my favorite move was anything that had to do with like, I wouldn't say like acrobatics, but like um, I'm very double jointed. So I'm super flexible and I would try any and all excuse to try and put moves that were crazy like that in. So anytime it involved like the splits or a backbend or any way I could just kind of like show off that was my favorite move to do in high school because I was one of the few people who could do it. So like, mm-hmm. that was my go-to. I think there was a move that we did where my teammates, I I went into a cartwheel and I went into a handstand and then they rolled me over. So I did a backbend over a bench, tossed a rifle and then caught it. Um, I'll have to try and find that video for you guys. I, I think there's a couple on YouTube of our team. Um but that was one of my favorite moves, like doing stuff like that was like, super cool.
0: <laughs> that sounds very scary to me, but really cool as well.
2: I've never been able to do a cartwheel growing up ever. I remember all my friends would just be like cartwheeling all over the place in elementary school and, and I would just be sitting there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's so funny, I-, I can't do a
2: cartwheel, <laughs> but I can't do like You know what
1: struggles with me is somersaults. And like somersaults are supposed to be super easy. You Uh just like And I'm like, I can't do it. I physically just can't wrap my head around it. I always end up hurting my head. That's just like one of the like I feel like our bodies are just like they void out like a certain movement. Like it's gotta be a chunk in our brain that's like missing where we just can't do that one thing, but we can do anything else, just not that one specific thing. (laughs) When it comes to like somersaults or like trying backflips, we'll ever I mean, <laughs> it's not on the list.
2: <laughs> I actually used to be able to like run into like a somersault because I took a self defense class back in either elementary or middle school and I was actually able to do it. But now I'm too scared to. So. Also, Claire's a black belt. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. What? But I saw in like grade. So, that. oh my God. Uh, that's- <laughs> I kind of wish I didn't stop, but it's okay.
0: it's kind of weird like when you're a kid all you do is like you just do like roll around in the grass right you just do those things for fun um how I know you mentioned that like your teammates would help you like do specific moves how many people were there on the team on your team so we had a pretty
1: small team compared to like the other divisions that we were um, up against um, so i think the largest that we've ever been on our team was at 12. um and any year after that it was like less so uh we grew up in a really small town and our division was the the lowest just because of our size um and yeah, so there was only about 12 of us. And like, depending on the movements we were doing, like a handful of people would be in selective groups and stuff like that, but.
0: <laughs>
2: okay,
0: sorry. <laughs> okay. What is it, is she or he? Or is it? It's a, he, his name's Milo. <laughs> um, is, uh, is he a golden retriever? Um, He's like,
1: so he's not, he's like a mix of like, a type of shepherd not like a German Mm -hmm. shepherd like Australian shepherd and something else so he's like a really good mix of something but he's like this bright orange Mm -hmm. um and sassy as you can tell like (laughs) so pretty right now is just like bothering him he's like hello I'm here
0: (laughs) (laughs) where's my attention
1: he's so needy but he's he's funny so he's over there now
0: so I think we're okay
2: i um, so pretty. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Do you have any lessons that you particularly took from Color Guard that you still kind of keep or adhere to today? Hmm. I had to
1: pick something from it. Communication is definitely important, communication mm-hmm. and working with others to achieve a certain goal. So something that is super important about being on a team like that, um, attendance is another good thing too, just because like if one thing, like the entire show is ruined. So, and that's something I always taught my younger kids as well, where I was like, I was really adamant about um, attendance. Like I didn't care if you were struggling with move at all. Like that's something we work on totally fine. But attendance was super important because the way we write our shows is based off of who we have. So say for instance, if I want to make a square and I need four people to make that square and someone's Mm -hmm. missing that day, I no longer have a square. I've got like maybe a triangle or an L, however you want to see it and so on and so forth. And if there's less people showing up, we can't practice the moves because someone's gone and no one can catch that thing that we're trying to throw over there, if that makes Mm -hmm. any sense. Mm -hmm. So not only that um, attendance, but, working together to get that story perceived. So if we are trying to do something and one person is struggling, obviously that's not going to be any good. So we have to help each other out in order to all of us get that same goal. So there isn't a person who like, unless it's a solo, there isn't any time where someone else needs to like look better than another person. The goal is to look the same. And if someone is doing too much or someone's doing too little it was trying to find that balance in between like okay like someone's throwing too high and someone's throwing too low let's try and find like that perfect balance where we are all coming in unison and focusing and talking to each other about that to achieve that same goal is super important and that's something that I implement in all the stuff I do because it's not a competition we're on the same team quite literally and that's how my different groups like it would be stupid to try and say like oh I'm going to get a higher grade on you like then you in this group project when in reality we're all going to get the same grade in the end so you know it's it's kind of that same sort of attitude is like we got to work on it together to achieve that same goal because we're not competing for this we're mm-hmm. competing as a whole.
2: Mm-hmm. It's always a good thing to keep in mind. I feel like everywhere we learn about communication and it's important in all aspects of life.
1: Definitely, yeah. You got to be able to talk to people, especially if you're frustrated about something. Mm -hmm. Later, instead of like like keeping it in is essential. Like you cannot keep that stuff inside.
2: Yeah, I think that's an issue for me because I'm a very non-confrontational person. And if I have frustrations, I don't usually tell people, like to your face. And, you that know, that can be a
1: problem. <laughs> for a long time, I was the same way. I did not like to tell people, like, how I felt and things like that. But now people kind of refer to me as, like, very confrontational. And I know oh, that has, like, a lot of negative, like, you know, kind of um, preconceived thoughts about it. But it's not a bad thing. Like, it could be, like, oh, I'm just confrontational. Like, if I like something, I'm going to tell someone instead of just, like, oh, like, I'm just going to sit back and, like, everyone knows that they like it. All right. If they did a good job, I want to tell them. And the same for those kind of like negative situations. If someone isn't doing a good job or they did something that was mean, like I'm going to be forward about it just because no one's going to win if no one says anything, you know? And um, that's something I started to do not only for myself, but for others, for people who don't, because what's going to happen is the people who get away with talking down to others will continue doing it because they're like, oh, no one's going to confront me at all. So when you go and confront them, it catches them off guard. And that's happened multiple times where people will will run their mouth about something and Mm -hmm. I'll come up like, Hey, so you said this like, (laughs) and they're like, and they just like shut down completely. And it's the craziest thing to see go down. And I started doing that a lot more because people will stop getting away with things. And Mm. I want to make sure that no one gets treated like that. So if I can do that, I'll do it for others. (laughs) It's it's definitely a process, and it takes a lot of practice. Don't get me wrong, Um, but ultimately, in the end, I'm very grateful to be able to just walk up to someone and be like, "Hey, this is the issue I have. Can we resolve it?"
0: Yes, we could start like talking about your academics in high school, like chemistry. Obviously, you introduce yourself as a cosmetic chemist, so we'd love to hear more about how you got into chemistry.
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, my kind of first experience with chemistry was in high school. I did take a chemistry course. Um, It was kind of funny. It wasn't just like, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing thing ever. Like I want to pursue this. It was mostly just like, this class is really easy. So I would turn like quizzes like super early and I would try and talk to the people around me because I was always done with my work early and everyone else was like struggling with it and I would, I wouldn't get in trouble for it because he knew I, like, my professor or my teacher knew that Mm -hmm. I, like, was aware of what I was doing, and I wasn't a bad kid, but it was just kind of, like, I was, like, whatever, like, I'm good at this, so I'm just gonna, like, brush it off, and I never, like, really processed that I could pursue this as a career, Mm -hmm. but what really got me looking into chemistry was um, my love for makeup, actually, so I, was in a very low income family. I couldn't afford lipstick shades that I wanted. So if you wanted something that wasn't a red lipstick or a nude, which you can easily get like a Dollar Tree or like a Rite Aid, um, that's something I, like if I wanted a blue, like I couldn't get that unless it was Kat Von D and she's super expensive, especially for someone like as poor as I was, you know? So I started looking into ways on how I could make my own lipsticks. And um it took a lot of chemistry to do it so I started learning more about how to make these lipsticks and I was able to make them and they were really really crappy quality but um they were still like the color I wanted so I was super happy and I had friends who loved them too so that I would make some for them but um it kind of like gave me that light bulb where it's like okay maybe I can pursue this so I started taking my chemistry class more seriously even though I was doing fine grade wise but um I talked to my Teacher and he got me to sign up for A.P. Chemistry, and it was like, okay, like this is definitely something I enjoyed. I even uh, they had like a science bowl. I didn't get to go to it, but I practiced for it because, like, ironically, I had a color guard competition that same day, so I couldn't right. go to it. Um, uh-huh. But I was like in the running to go and do that sort of stuff. So I got really involved um, as much as I could in chemistry because I was dead set, like, okay, this is where I want to go.
0: Um, And that's kind of where it started. Yeah. (laughs) AP Chem, taking AP Chem, then how did you continue pursuing chemistry? Gotcha. So um,
1: I started taking courses at my community college. Um, I didn't end up going straight into university just because I did not have the money for it. So I wanted to uh, save up some money for myself. So if I going to community college, I got tons of scholarships, I got tons of financial aid, and I was working um, three jobs, two of them being the coach positions as a color mm-hmm. guard coach. Um, so it gave me an opportunity to stay and like actually like participate in that more, which I loved. Um, but um, I took all my gen ed courses. So that included like your low, lower level like chemistry courses and science courses. Um, they had a STEM club, but it wasn't very active. Um, that was the only unfortunate thing. So um, it was actually kind of funny. The first two years that I was in college, I wasn't really involved in chemistry. I was taking the courses doing really well. So I ended up um, getting really close with my professor. So I would like ask him for like references and like, you know, staying after class to ask more questions about certain topics. And um, he was just a really great mentor to have. So if anything, he was definitely a great resource that I got out of it. But other than that, there wasn't anything else to support Mm -hmm. STEM at my school, at least, just because where I was growing up. Um, But when I went to university and I transferred to uh, California State Channel Islands, I had tons of support, not only from the professors, but they had multiple programs for STEM students that supported you educationally, financially, Mm like. Mentally, too, that was another thing, too, is they have a lot of mentors who focused on your mental health and uh, made sure you had, like, resources as far as, like, if you needed, like, therapy or any, like, counseling. They had stuff like that, which is, like, Mm -hmm. totally mind-blowing. I didn't think that was a thing. So, um, yeah, and then I signed up for a lot of those programs, and I got to travel and go to different conferences and learn more about the different ways I could approach chemistry and The rest is essentially history. And I'm sure we'll be talking about those topics here in a couple of questions. (laughs) Yeah.
2: What is doing chemistry research like? Because I know you're in the cosmetic industry now as a cosmetic chemist. But obviously, you'll have to do some research for that. And I'm sure you have experience in that.
1: Yes. So um, I did do research uh, as an undergraduate student at uh, Channel Islands. And like a lot of transfer students as myself who came from community college that didn't have those STEM resources, I actually didn't know what research was. I thought that was something that you had to do after you graduated. I didn't know that you could do it while you were still getting your degree. And um, it was actually my organic chemistry professor who um, talked to me about um, some research he was gonna be doing. And he was like, hey, I think you'd be great for this, apply for my program. So I was like, okay, like, why not? It'll be just like extra work on the side. Luckily enough, I actually applied for this program and got in and it was a paid position. So I was paid to do undergraduate research um, underneath him and with some fellow students of mine. Um, And our specific topic was anti-cancer drug development. Um, A lot of it was computational, which means that we did um, a lot of chemistry work on like computer software before actually getting to the cells themselves. But it took a lot of long hours of studying um, over the summer, especially. That was the largest time that we did the research. Um, We would sit in the library for like hours in the lab, like working on these different proteins and different compounds. Um, It was an extremely exhausting thing to do. If if you've asked anyone in research, just because you feel like you move forward on something and then you'll read a paper that tells you that you were wrong. So you have to go (laughs) to six. So it's just like, going forward, moving back all the time. That's probably the most annoying process of research. But once we somewhat finalized our work, um, we were able to present our research at multiple conferences and meet with fellow students who are also in that kind of field or different professors or professionals in that sort of field we were working in. And it's crazy that you can have conversations with these people who are like well-established and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't even have my degree yet. And I can talk about this stuff with people who've been doing this for years. That's incredible. Okay. So that was probably the best part about it. And as someone who was low income, I didn't get to travel a lot when I was younger just because we didn't have the money to do it. But because of the programs I was in and the research I was doing, I was actually funded to go to different conferences like across the nation. So before COVID, I was supposed to go to like Philadelphia, I was supposed to go to New Zealand. Um, I was fortunate enough to go to Reno, Nevada, and I also went to Hawaii, um, and multiple ones all throughout California, um, San Jose, uh, San Diego, you name it. Like I, I got to go to so many places because of our research and the different programs that funded it. So, um, definitely a plug in there. So if anyone's looking to do that sort of stuff, um, I can definitely talk more about it after this.
0: (laughs) Oh, I was just going to mention, like, it seems like these are really great opportunities to network and like getting to know these people would like, has that helped you in a way to do like more research or pursue other things, uh, pursue other opportunities as well?
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah, the The networking is the most important part about these conferences is meeting different people and linking up to get to those different points that you want to get to. So mm-hmm. even though if you meet someone and it's not directly the thing you want to do, They might know someone who knows that thing that you want to do. And um, I did get a lot of um, people in my network through my conferences to do something like that. So Mm -hmm. there was people who represent like different schools, for instance, to say, if you want to pursue a PhD after your undergraduate career, you can meet people who are in that field. And they're like, hey, so I have a position in my lab if you want to apply for it when you go Mm -hmm. and PhD. And right away, you already have a direct connection with the person mm-hmm. who's in charge of picking. So if someone wants to select someone for their lab and they're like, hey, I met this person, I know what their research is already, I know where they've presented at, um, they make them, it make, makes them a better candidate, you know, so there's that. And then different programs or different um like job positions too. Um, There's so many cool opportunities just through networking alone or even if you just want to make a friend too. A lot of the people that uh, I'm friends with now are researchers from across the world, I would say, um, who either met online through conferencing or physically through conferencing. And it's just led to like really strong friendships through science.
0: That sounds really sweet. (laughs) Obviously, anti-cancer drugs seem like a very different world from cosmetic chemistry. So how did you get back into um, cosmetics?
1: So um, yes, definitely, it is a completely different path, it seems like, but um, when the pandemic had hit, Mm -hmm. I found myself with a lot of extra time. So um, I was actually working as a lab technician after performing all that research and graduating from my school. And I would get home and have like nothing to do because I wasn't allowed to go out and do anything. So right. I spent a lot of time at home. And um, for a while, I would do a lot of like makeup looks, just because, like I said, I love doing makeup and it is another creative outlet for me. And then I started thinking, like, oh well, I want to like start making things. I I ended up making like like bath bombs and candles and stuff like that. You know, ways to pass time. And then I decided that okay, well, I want to make my own lip gloss because there was tons of these lip gloss vendors online, but they all use the same base and it's called Versagel. And I can't stand the stuff because it smells ironically chemically. And I don't like that kind of chemical smell when it's like Mm -hmm. with my, especially if it's under my nose, it smells horrible. And I'm just like, oh, that's not for me. And so I was like, okay, let me find a way that I can make my own. So um, I ordered these lip gloss containers off of Amazon. And when they showed up, it was like a pack of 18. And I was like, oh my God, this is way too many. I just needed the one and um, I didn't want to waste them. So I ended up using all 18 containers and making them. And I saved them for myself and then put the rest on my Instagram story. And I was like, hey, does anyone want these? Like I've ordered too many, like, and people bought them. Like people actually paid money. They sent me money and I was able to hand deliver them or mail them to like friends all throughout California who wanted them. And I was like, this is interesting. And I had a friend who approached me and she was like, have you considered, you know, pursuing this as a business? And I was like, you know, maybe. So I did more research and after some careful timing and putting together a website, I was able to launch Alchemist Asia in September of 2020. And since then, it's just been growing so much more. We have a huge community on Instagram and we've got like a Twitter and a Facebook. I also do like live vendor shows Um, and it is um, so incredible how it started from just like something that I started in high school. But the idea behind my brand is um, everything is science inspired specifically because I am a chemist and I felt like it was super fun and it was a great way to educate people on different products. So the kind of tagline that we go with is reducing science stigma. And that is because there is a lot of um, fighting between like the natural and clean community and makeup, and then the people who actually make the makeup. So a lot of the times they're butting heads just because some of the Mm -hmm. ideas exactly link up where I'm trying to find that middle ground where it's like, hey, in a sense, both are right this is what this means you know what I mean so um I try to use my products to kind of educate and make it fun and creative for people to be more involved in STEM but at the same time know what their products are made for or what it like what they they're derived from things like that
0: (laughs) that was a very very like super inspiring story um (laughs) I think I actually wrote in junior year we had to do a research paper and I wrote mine on clean beauty about like why like there could be a lot of like fear mongering in like the natural beauty industry because I guess you could say it's a different industry and I find it really cool that you're kind of combining those because at that time I kind of took a stance that was like oh um like kind of totally rejecting what they're saying but like as I mean, junior year is like a while ago. Now I'm graduated. So obviously my views have changed a lot. And it's interesting to see how like you're finding it in the middle.
1: Gotcha. Oh, by the way, yeah. congratulations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Because I think the last time we talked, you were still a high school student. Oh, yeah. Now- yeah. How exciting. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations. Oh my gosh. <laughs> But yeah, that is a, that is an impressive piece to be writing on in high school, I got to say. Um, that's definitely something that's come into light, you know, especially recently, there's been a huge movement for clean and natural beauty. And there's nothing wrong with people wanting, you know, accountability. That's the biggest thing is like, hey, like, does this really need to be in our cosmetics? And I'm totally for that. If there's something that's harming us, definitely it shouldn't be in it, you know, but at the same time, you are pushing like, certain ingredients aren't clean or certain things like shouldn't be in it or things like it could be like way too drastic where it's like, hey, did you know this thing causes cancer? And it's like, well, I mean, if you think about it, a lot of things that we use in our everyday life can cause cancer. Cancer. (laughs) There's a lot of them. Like my favorite example to use is like spinach. Did you know if you eat like over six pounds of spinach, which is a lot because if you've ever weighed spinach, it's super if you ate six pounds of spinach you would actually die from poisoning and the same thing yeah that's a legitimate thing (laughs) you would die from like I want to say it's an iron like poisoning like too much iron Uh and like cherry pits um cherry pits have a chemical compound that um can leak and go into I want to say um arsenic like so um it's a compound that like, once it like uh, degenerates, it turns into arsenic. I could be wrong, but it's something like that. If you eat cherry pits, it's super poisonous, but you have to eat a certain amount for it to be poisonous. And the same thing goes mm. with a lot of ingredients that some of these people in the clean community consider to be dangerous. Whereas sometimes it could just be the chemical name for a product. So, right. you know, um, let's see like sodium chloride, like someone could see that and be like, oh my gosh, like that sounds like a chemical. I don't want that in my product when in reality it's table salt. You know what I mean? It's proper names because of the labeling process. It's from a legal perspective, whereas um, some people might read it as differently. And that's why it's super important with like the brand that I have where I'm teaching people about that kind of stuff. Like, hey, here's a chemical name of something. Here's what it really is. Here's what it came from and this is what Mm -hmm. product and why it's not a scary thing to use and um it's actually funny too so like I mean the clean beauty industry um as a whole to begin with so that kind of like term doesn't exist in the beauty industry surprisingly enough I've spoken to a lot of people who have been in like L'Oreal for a long time and um, like different kind of uh, brands like that where they're completely established and they've been around for years. So those terms don't actually exist from like the actual industry, it's a marketing term. So um, a, another word you can compare it to is like um, binge worthy. And I'm sure you've heard this with like TV shows before when you think of like Netflix shows, like, hey, you right, right. worthy TV show. But that word itself, doesn't mean anything outside of like Netflix because it's a marketing term just to say like, hey, these ones are great to watch and binge on, but it's not an actual term that we use. So the same thing goes with like clean. Anyone can use the word clean and completely lie about what's in their products. And that's like the most dangerous part is if you were to shop a clean product from Target and a clean product from Sephora, their terms are actually different. If you go and read Uh like what clean Mm -hmm. products don't have in them and that's research I've had to do for myself just because I'm like well I'm curious as well and some of them don't match up like one might have these ingredients and one might say oh those ones are dangerous so anyone can really say what a clean product is and not have the same kind of standards across the board and that's why it's not seen as an ultimate like term for industry it is just like specifically for how you want to see it and that's why people can like twist and change it to how they want it to be perceived. So I won't go too long on that one just because that one's like a whole conversation. but like, <laughs> yeah, I've definitely dealt with that kind of conversation a lot, and it's something that is super important with my brand.
0: I would just want to know, like you said that your lip the lip gloss that uh, base that companies usually use is the one that kind of smells super chemically and i just want to know like what base like how did you change that in your formulation gotcha so a lot of those lip gloss bases um what happens is
1: it's like the kind of like that sticky thick um kind of product that makes mm-hmm. it like glossy and that's usually what gives it that smell so naturally just smells like that which is nothing wrong it's not harming you whatsoever but just the smell drives me this smells wonky it just it it just smells weird to me like there I'm I could literally wear any makeup product that smells funny as long as it's not my lipstick just because it's on my lips it's under my nose and I'm always scared if it gets in my mouth like is it going to taste the same as it smells I'm like that kind of like person um but with mine the difference is um a lot of them actually have like food grade materials just because um I market towards people who like say if they get it in their mouth I want to make sure that it's non-toxic you know what I mean um so a lot of them have like coconut oil and shea butter beeswax like those are the main like base ingredients for my lip glosses and um the same for my honey ones so that one's probably the most simple out of all of them that one's 100% food grade material it's literally coconut oil beeswax and honey And it just takes a chemical process to get it to that consistency. So no chemicals whatsoever, but it is a chemical process to make it. And it comes out super soft and creamy. And it's just like a lip gloss, but
0: doesn't smell or taste horrible. (laughs) So do you make this all in your home or at home? Yes. So I
1: have my own home lab and I make every single one of my products, everything, everything, has been like kind of like studied on myself and like I make the like not the ingredients but I make all the different formulas and like test them out and see so I get to see it like at the forefront like if it's not the consistency I want if it's not the color I want like I can change it to whatever I need it to be so everything you see on my page is made
2: 100% by me. Why did you decide to start your own business aside from the lip gloss story right because we just talked about how some of the products can just be not to our taste right or not to our standards what exactly inspired you to start your own business
1: gotcha so um i think what you were asking too is like why not like work with someone else right gotcha okay so that's something i did consider and i've actually spoken with quite a few cosmetic chemists who work for really cool companies but um ultimately from the one that I did talk to um, she's really cool her name's Courtney and she works for Plumed she actually worked for L'Oreal for over three years as a social media manager and what I learned from her was kind of like it really put into perspective like where I want to be so I mean if I really truly wanted to I could apply for some of these jobs and move to like New Jersey and work for L'Oreal but um, there's a huge lack of diversity and not only with just um you know different ethnicities which is a huge thing obviously um for instance like in the foundation like kind of section that's also a big issue right. like cuz we're not getting the foundation colors that we need to see we're getting like super pale ones but nothing for our darker tone clients like which isn't that's not good like come on mm-hmm. like you got to make color for the people who are buying your products and it seems that it's only geared to towards a specific client, which mm-hmm. shouldn't be so. That's already one issue where um, she was telling me that she was um, the only Black woman in her department, and that was like kind of like surprising to me, just because I know that's a big deal in like the modeling agencies, for instance. And I know that's a completely different industry, but what happens is they have a quota that they need to fill, and they're like, okay, well, we already have enough Asian women, we already have enough Black women, so like that should be good. Whereas like, there's never been a limit on like Caucasian people. Like, okay, we're gonna have like this many, like you've never heard of that. Like, oh, we're only gonna have three white people in the industry. No one talks like that. So it's the same thing with these kind of corporate positions. And um, when you have a lack of diversity, you don't understand what your clientele needs. So you can't sit there and make a product for someone who has kinky curly hair Um, and not have kinky curly hair. And that's something that I would see with some of these larger brands is they don't have the people making product for the product that they're trying to sell it to or the people that they're trying to sell it to. So didn't really like make sense to me. Um, But in addition to that too, um, something I noticed was they're not really catering to people who have needs outside of ethnicity. So for instance, um, I know a lot of people who have a lot of allergies and um, like different skin conditions. And a lot of them are completely just not even thought of when these products are made, just because they're like, okay, well the majority of the population doesn't have these skin conditions or you know any allergies to scent. So like, why should we do that? And as a small business owner, I have the ability to do that and gear it towards people like that. So I actually have custom services for people who have those specific needs or are allergic to products because it's a huge thing. Like, there's a lot of people who can't wear makeup because either their skin doesn't allow them to, or um, they're sensitive to smell. There's a lot of people who have scent allergies where they can't wear anything with fragrance. And you know, nowadays anything on the counter has like watermelon scent in it, or something like that, or it's like right. you know, in, you know what I mean, things like mm. that. It's just something that isn't considered in those larger companies, and I think that's what really drove me to do my own. So mm. being in that- And two, I've been able to collaborate with different smaller businesses such as myself who want to make their own products for those niche categories of people. So the people who are ignored and not thought of in those big industries, I get to work with them now and help them make a product for those niche categories, which is way more rewarding as a small business. And um, a lot of the clients who have approached me are usually women, I think you know, nine times out of 10, it's women. I've only had one guy like ever approach me to like do my services. And his was cool too. It was for a male concealer where it's like, that's something we don't get to see every day. And um, of those women who did approach me, every single one of them was a woman of color. And that speaks volumes to me, like thinking about all the people who've wanted to see a product for them and for the people that they grew up around and people that look like them. And they don't get to see those in the big industries and the big industries don't want to put money into it because they don't think it's worth it. And so being a small business that can work with these other ones, I can see that worth and it's just way more rewarding to do it on a smaller scale. We may not be making as much money as the big ones, but it is just great because we're serving communities who deserve it. And I think that's what really pushed me to do something small like this instead of the bigger company and work for a larger company
0: yeah I (laughs) so I have eczema and it's really hard for me to like when I was younger well not that old but like um like a few years ago when I was trying to find the right skincare products for me it was really hard for like uh, me to find products that one I it was safe for my skin two I wanted to use and also three that I also like that were aesthetically pleasing because a lot of the like the trendy products out there I'm like oh that's so cute I want that right like the packaging but then I look at the ingredients I'm like I don't think this is the right product for me because like they have fragrance which is like really bad for my skin and it's like um and this even with like essential oils I know some of these brands say like oh it's for sensitive skin and but their products like ingredient list doesn't really reflect that for me and so it is really annoying to buy from those companies but I think it's really cool that there are a lot of new small businesses coming out because I realized like on Instagram like where I find them I'm like oh this is like really cool they're small um their packaging is like really cute which for some reason is really big for me and their ingredients are nice so (laughs) I, th- I admire your um, purpose
1: definitely I feel the same way I, I'm a sucker for packaging um, <laughs> if it's super cute I end up like buying it and then I hate the product itself like I've totally been there I've had some that I just want to keep forever just because the packaging but it's like you know where the money yeah, went into product yeah it went into the packaging not the product itself but that's the thing too is like Knowing that you have a product that does work for you is such a feeling. Like again, there's a huge percent of the population that doesn't have problem with like most of the stuff that's on the market, and they don't have to think about that stuff. But the people who do have these conditions, like myself, I do also have eczema, like on my elbows and knees, and it is difficult to find a product that actually works for my body. And when you can finally, like, hey, I have this product that I can use without having to read the label or stressing about it, like making me break out or like get into a rash or like just like overall give me a headache for the scent Mm -hmm. like it is so nice to know that you've been considered you know you've been thought of
0: yeah um and I guess how do you exactly market your business because you said yourself that like people reach out to you as well to do custom services so could you elaborate more on how you're running your small business Yes. So
1: I offer a little bit, a different kind of like, um, business service than most. So I do sell my own products. Of course I have my own website and we advertise on like Instagram. That's our biggest Mm -hmm. platform where we can really interact with our community and like really ask and see what kind of like needs that they have. And, um, then we started offering the custom services just because, um, I have several friends who have these allergies and say if they want a custom product that reflects them and products that are safe for them that's a way that they can do that and ultimately what that kind of went into was um, because I have a lot of like scientists who do follow my personal account um, they would approach like different people who were like chemists and they were like hey like I need a chemist to help me make this product um, do you know like do you know anybody who could do that And a lot of my My chem friends are like, I don't do this stuff, but I know you like makeup. Do you think you could help them? And that's actually what it changed into. So now it's something I actually offer. So originally it wasn't something I was offering the forefront. I just wanted to sell product. But now I do have services for companies who do want someone to formulate their product for them. Um, So that's kind of like another side thing that we do in addition to our custom services and in addition to our products that are on the website currently.
0: And how do you also market yourself? Because I know you, you mentioned that you have Instagram, and Claire and I both follow it. <laughs> um, how do you kind of share, or I yeah, market your products? Like, do you just post it uh, whenever you have a new one, or like a new line? So, um,
1: as far as like marketing goes, I love to do anything creative with our content so I love to use the reels um any opportunity I can to stay on trend with things I try to mm. do that and just make it like a fun experience just because overall our um like the entire thing about my brand is to be fun and educational so um for instance on Saturdays um not as consistent as it have been in the past but like I like to do science Saturdays where I break down specific ingredients in one of our products or products in um, like the industry currently and I'll talk about the chemistry of it so Mm
2: -hmm.
1: we'll talk about like coconut oil like why is it used in all these different products like what's the chemical background of it and kind of explain it so it's like the opportunity to to give that like educational standpoint and then all the other times like throughout the week we'll talk about different products sometimes I'll market like that Um, I do tons of quizzes on our stories too to find like your perfect product essentially just Mm. because we do have a lot of stuff on our website and people are like, I don't know which one's for me, or like mm. I can't choose between these two. So I like to put fun quizzes up there where you can find a product that reflects like your personality kind of. Um that's really cool. That's another fun way that we do stuff as well. So that's kind of like how I market it is um you know educational standpoint, um aesthetic standpoint to see like how pretty the feed is of course and mm. then like stories are super interactive. I love to get the followers involved with polls or just like asking how their day went. But ultimately, the quizzes are my favorite. And I think that's what everyone likes, too.
2: Right. It's always more helpful trying to have someone help you, you know, choose a product that's specific to you. Because there's always, like, so many different choices that your mind is, like, boggled with. And it's so hard. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Definitely been there. Yeah. Right. Have you had any difficulties of um, running your small business?
1: Yes. Almost every small business will have something that has been difficult for them. Like, there's nobody that's like, oh, this has been like 100% easy unless, like, right. they just put their name on and else to do all the work for them. Um, it has definitely been a journey. Um, so, I mean... Even speaking from like when I originally started, it was um, really hard to try and make products along with my work schedule. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was renting a room um, from a house just because I couldn't afford the rent out there. So I wasn't even living in a place on my own. I was literally just renting a room. And I was making products in my bedroom. Like it started like really small when I'm telling you. And um, now I'm in a place where I have like the professional space and like, you know, tons of space to do it and tons of stuff to all the equipment now, like now that I've invested but at the same time, um, there's always going to be something that's difficult for me. And the biggest one right now is, um, living in Alaska. So the hardest part about that is sourcing my ingredients now, um, or sourcing mm-hmm. packaging that. So, um, a lot of companies will actually not ship to Hawaii and Alaska just because they have shipping restrictions or, um, mm-hmm. because they can get damaged e- easily just because they have to take either a boat or a plane Um, in order to living, they find it way too expensive. So a lot of companies, that's why they have that kind of like, oh, we ship to everywhere but Alaska and Hawaii. So we're just two states that totally get screwed over all the time. Mm. So um, a lot of research has gone into like a lot of the packaging and products uh, that I need. And um sometimes it gets here and sometimes it doesn't. I've had tons of stuff like break on me or just like you know get lost in packaging like that's happened a lot too the mail like people will tell me yeah so it's lost I'm like how do you lose it like (laughs) I've had um boxes that have showed up (laughs) this is probably the funniest experience I think you guys will enjoy this I walked up to the post office and like the lady's super nice she's always so so kind here and um Mm -hmm. she lifts a trash bag and puts it onto the counter and I was like (laughs) and she was like so what happened was (laughs) So someone had ordered like four jugs of oil through Amazon and got it shipped up here, and they broke at some point and they leaked over like a fourth of the packaging that it came in. So like literally for a week straight, maybe one in every eight customers would get an oily package. So like you would, it was kind of like roulette. Like you would have to like wait and watch to see who got the oily package. (laughs) (laughs) You know one of those days that happened to be me, I had a completely soaked package that they had to put it into a trash bag because it was so drenched in oil. Ooh. And the worst part about it was I had, you know, my ingredients and like different equipment in there. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what if it's damaged because of the oil? And if I were to open the package, I couldn't return it. But at the same time, I wanted to see if it was even broken. Like, so if I opened it up and everything was fine, it, I didn't care about the packaging, of course.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But if I I couldn't return it and so there was like for that life, 50 50 Lent. yeah return or perfectly fine stuff that I return right now instead of opening it so I was like Ugh, and I had to like send it back and I had to wait two more for my new stuff to come out wow. and to get refund um that's the other thing is that everything takes a lot longer to ship out here so two-day shipping does not exist out here um mm. so that's probably the biggest feat I've had to endure with my business now, just because when I was living in California, if I was like, oh shit, like I ran out of this, I could you order, order get items, anything like, in like a day or I could run to Target. I don't got a Target out here anymore. <laughs> so, Oh, for real? It, I didn't know that. No, uh, I mean, there's Targets in Alaska, but in the small town that I live in, oh, um, okay. not a lot, uh, we actually only have one fast food place out here and it's Subway. come on (laughs) aqua belt like come on (laughs) so it's really teeny tiny here Mm -hmm. so there's not a lot of resources so and that's the thing too I would totally shop locally if we had that kind of stuff out here but um there's very few places that I can get specific ingredients like if I wanted more um like coconut oil or if I wanted more things like that I could get it here Mm -hmm. it's just super expensive but um things that are like specifically for cosmetics, like the containers or anything like that. There's nowhere out here that I can buy that. But California has tons of places that you can go and find that kind of stuff. Like you could go take a drive and get that quicker than Amazon even, you know. Absolutely. But that's probably the hardest part about um doing my business out here as opposed to California. But yeah. what can you do, you know? <laughs>
0: yeah. Now I feel really blessed to live in. <laughs> still live in California. Have you ever
2: thought of relocating? Oh, back?
0: To California. Yeah.
2: Like
1: relocating from where I am currently.
2: Yeah. yeah, Back to like California or someplace else.
1: You know, it's a conversation that uh, me and my partner still have just because mm. we did come out here because he's going to school. So I know I'm going to be out here for at least another two years um, because he's going to finish his degree. Mm. But after that, you've already like kind of talked like, we can't like see ourselves like completely settling here just because it's a little too expensive for us to like get a house. Right. So I definitely see myself moving in the next two years to where, not sure, but, Mm -hmm. um, that's definitely something I can see, but I can tell you, it'll be somewhere easier to get shipping Right. right? (laughs) because anywhere outside of Alaska is like way easier to get your stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, definitely in the future, but something I'm not considering at least for another year.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, I want to uh, put a little more positive note on the difficult uh, regarding like uh, the small business. I know we talked about difficulties, but do you have any like specific uh, like rewards? Like, what do you find rewarding, or like a specific moment that was rewarding in your small business journey? Oh gosh. I think
1: there's one specific one, but I'm going to talk about a generic one first. So as a whole, um, being a small business and doing vendor shows, so getting to see your, your customers in real life and in the communities that completely support you is the best feeling ever just because people judge online so quickly and they can just be like, they can decide if they like a product or not, like in seconds. Whereas like when they come to a booth, they can look at your product, ask you questions, You can have a real life conversation and really get to meet like Mm -hmm. people who are behind it. And people love that so much more, having that connection. Mm. And it's so much more rewarding to buy a product from someone that you saw made it. You know what I mean? Like it's like buying something that someone just knitted. Like people online will be like, oh my gosh, $50 for a knitted sweater. Like that's ridiculous. But then you go to a vendor show and you see the woman who sat there for hours making that one sweater. And $50 is, like, not even enough to cover all the, like, fees and, like, the yarn that she had to buy for it. All of the, like, stuff that, she, all the time that she had to do it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, um, so that was, like, like the most generic one. So anytime I do a vendor show, people are just, like, really great to talk to. Whether they buy my product or not, they just, they we get a great connection. But I think my best one was when I was still in Oxnard, California.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I had this family who like the wife was like asking questions like she came up and she was like looking at stuff and for a while I didn't think she was gonna buy anything like at all I was like oh no like we were just having a good (sighs) conversation asking Mm -hmm. literally about the whole product and I was like okay she's just like really curious and so we had a good conversation and then her whole family showed up and we're like looking at stuff her kids loved everything so each of them she was like okay like everyone just pick whatever you want and I was like oh my god oh, and like really? the kids got to pick as many products as they wanted and they would ask questions too and they were very polite too and they they loved the science behind it the wife was super great and she bought my stuff and we still talk now she actually bought from me online even though she lives in oxnard she bought like three more jars of like a specific item for me mm-hmm. and then the husband was really great too he was um he talked to me too it wasn't just like a, oh i'm just gonna ignore this person and let my family shop like he's like you know Obviously, like I don't use the products that you have here just because it's not like a lifestyle that I live, but I love the stuff that you're doing out here. And I said, wow, well, like that's really kind of you. And he was like, you know, like I think I could definitely see your business going further. Like you should consider getting a business loan from this person, blah, 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 because they're Ooh. doing. And he was, he gave me tons of financial advice and business advice because he was like, look, you're young, you're educated you can do this. Like, these are places that I know would absolutely support you. And your business looks like something worth supporting. And I was like, (laughs) I wanted to cry that. And then they like left with like $75 worth of products after like just hyping me up 20 minutes straight. And I was like, this is not real. (laughs) Like, I was like, oh my gosh, like, Oh my gosh. Like that just happened. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's all I could like say afterwards. It was the best moment. And it's those little moments that are just so rewarding. Mm. Just knowing people care about what you're doing.
2: And they're just like, they see you as a human being as opposed to like online, like, right. Yeah, it's to- just like, oh, just a product. They don't see it- anything personal behind it
1: exactly it was just it felt more genuine and having those conversations I'm definitely an extrovert so like it meant a lot (laughs) to me so that was definitely the best moment
2: so for those people interested in chemistry but don't exactly know what they want to do as a career like yourself before you got into cosmetic chemistry is there any advice that you would like to give them
1: yeah um Chemistry just—it isn't just beakers and glassware and mixing chemicals. There are so many different fields that high school is just not telling you about. You know, I had the same kind of problem. Um, talk to people. Like that is the best way you can learn about a field that you want to get into is emailing them. And if you don't get a response whatever, there's more people out there. Um, I didn't learn more about chemistry until I met people who were doing different fields that required chemistry and you just didn't know about. Um, for instance, I'm gonna bring up like scenarios, even though like that doesn't necessarily answer the question. Um, but when I was working in a restaurant for six years, you know, I was I was miserable. I was, I didn't like it there, but it was the only job I could do at the time working in high school, you know? And um, I was still considering chemistry, but I didn't know where I wanted to go with it quite yet. And I met this woman and her husband, and I was serving them, like, after hours. And we had this long conversation. They stayed for, like, three hours, and I got to talk to them as I served them. And she's a food chemist for Taco Bell.
0: Oh. Uh, <laughs>
1: wow. I was like, how? Okay. I was like, so it's about the meat, right? There, so the meat is funky, right? I know <laughs> the truth. And she was, like, laughing, but that wasn't the case. So the reason that she's a food chemist is um, something you may not know right away, but um, Taco Bell doesn't ever get new ingredients. So obviously every week they get fresh ingredients. That's a different story. But as far as what's on their menu, it stays the same. The newest ingredient that they've ever added on there was those Doritos Locos Taco shells. Those That's the only, only time it has ever been new. But if you've ever noticed, they always have new products coming out. And how that works is they have food chemists who design different meals based off of the ingredients. So they always have sour cream, they always have cheese, they always have chicken, they always have lettuce. But how can we change it into a
2: new product for this month? Oh, and so that's the ingredients how they stay the same, but the makeup is different.
1: And I'm just Ooh. it blew my mind. I was like, and now when I go to Taco, I still eat a Taco Bell. But like every time I go to Taco Bell, I'll like look at their menu and I'm like, yeah same ingredients just different puzzle pieces you know what I mean it's just like mm-hmm. moved around to look different and it's just like the craziest thing and that was a feel I didn't know existed and I looked more into it it's like a legitimate thing um another one that's really big right now and people are constantly looking for chemists for is the perfume industry so they're mm-hmm. like scent sign. yeah um, that one's a super important one too I don't know too much about it but I've heard so many cool things about it Obviously, cosmetic chemistry is another one, too. Um, Something I learned about when I was moving to Alaska before I settled here, Mm -hmm. Um, I'm actually in the process of applying for a field chemist position, which is honestly an ideal thing. I would definitely still pursue it in addition to doing this business. But um, what they would do um, for two weeks, you would go out like walking in fields and going and traveling to different like remote areas, collecting samples out in the wild. And then the next two weeks, you would just be in the lab working on the samples you collected. So for like adventurous people, it is like the perfect position Mm -hmm. because you're going out and hiking in these beautiful places to go get samples. And a lot of the times you're the only one who has legal access on those like beautiful places because it is only for like scientists because like say you have like an endangered species you're trying to track. That's something a friend of mine did actually. She worked for the Smithsonian Museum tracking a specific um, mammal out in a certain desert and because they're protected, no one gets to see them ever because it's in a protected area out in the wilderness, but because they're mm-hmm. the scientists who are track of them, she got to go collect samples of like, she got to collect their poop, but I mean, okay. that, that <laughs> <perfect>. <laughs> but the fact that she got to go to these untouched places where no one else gets to and then go and work on it in a lab is just so cool to me. And that's something we never get to learn about in high school. And so I guess my biggest thing is just like, know that it's not just like one thing or the other. And the same goes with any major you wanna go into. So if you wanna do business, if you wanna do art, it's not just one thing. There's so many different levels underneath that that you just don't know about until you talk to someone. So definitely reach out and start talking to people.
0: Yeah. Um, I was gonna ask the next question, but I think you pretty much answered it. It was more for like people who are interested in cosmetics but don't like chemistry, AKA me. (laughs) And I think your advice still stands kind of just talking to those people working that work in the industry. Definitely, and I guess I can
1: add to that to like specifically cater to your question, There are job positions for people who love makeup, but don't want to do anything with the chemistry of it. So there's a lot of like, um, for instance, one of the people I work with, like I had mentioned previously, her name's Courtney. She mm-hmm. actually was the social media manager for L'Oreal for a long time. And so she got to work and see these like products coming in the making, but she did, she wasn't physically in the lab, but she got to like help like develop some of them, get to market off of them. And she got to like have tons of samples of them. Perks. Oh my gosh. Like all that kind of stuff. And it was because she was interested in that industry. So you mm-hmm. can do that. Too. There's also people who are paid to be testers. So you could literally be sent products to be testing them. To see if they're worth you know going on the market a lot of small companies do that they hire a lot of people um to see if the product is worth it and if it is then you get to market it so that's kind of what a lot of influencers do as well so there's a lot of positions for fields like that that aren't chemistry related to
0: very nice thank you um i think Obviously, a lot of the work you're doing is in Alaska now, but you also mentioned that you started your business in California. How did you move from two different climates? (laughs) Because Alaska is definitely different than California. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Um, So like I mentioned previously, I was having trouble with my living situation when I Mm. was working as a lab technician. I was getting paid well, but it still wasn't enough to compensate for the price of living just because California, as you guys know, is so,
0: <laughs> and it was,
1: it is not fun to pay for. No. And um, I, all of my roommates moved back home when uh, school went online. So I was stuck out there on my own. So it's not like I could have split a rent with somebody.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I was kind of like dealing with this sort of crisis, but at the same time, my partner was going to be moving out here for school And then we had the very, very adult talk to um, compromise and I agreed to come out here with him. And um, yeah, so we made that transition. We started like, you know, letting my work know and we started packing up immediately, basically came up here with a backpack and a suitcase. And that's all we started with before we all of our stuff so this last drive that I was telling you guys about when we went back down there we got to clear out our storage unit and get all of our stuff and drive it up because we got a new car so now we have our car back like so um the first couple months living out here were a little like a bit of a culture shock um we also came at the peak of winter so it was very snowy and very cold but um honestly where we're living it's heated and very insulated so um and we stayed inside most of the time anyways so it was a pretty easy transition actually it I thought it would be very difficult because I grew up in like Bakersfield which is super super hot during the summers um but the winter is actually um pretty cold because we're living in the desert so um it was only like 10 degrees colder out here than what it is typically where I'm from so it wasn't a hard change
0: And how did like oh, I asked back to, I think you what like your inter- introduction. You also mentioned that you do content creating, right? Yes. So um, I actually work with a couple companies.
1: That's how I got my foot in the door when I started my business too. Um, when I was. Moving out here to Alaska, I knew I had to leave my position, so I started looking for chemistry work out here, but because I wasn't a state um, resident yet, a lot of places weren't going to hire me because they're like, "Eh, it says on your ID that you're from California from like a legal and like tax standpoint, we can't hire you for that, which is totally understandable. So I started looking for remote work just because we're in that kind of position where a lot of places are offering remote positions now that we are mostly online and, um, I applied through an internship program that I found through my school, actually, um, and it wasn't related to my school whatsoever. It was just kind of like we have a um, like a career forum on my like school webpage where you can it'll take you to different job positions that are like out in the open. And I met with this girl. Her name's Nina, and she has a nonprofit travel company, and it aligns with my goals that are outside of chemistry, of course. So. Um, I love doing a lot of volunteer work. I want to travel the world. I want to, you know, help with like um, sustainability goals and like social impact. And that's everything that her uh, um, her job is all about and like her program. And so I started working as her social media uh, lead and content creator. And I continue to work with her, and it has been a really rewarding experience. And through that position, she introduced me to a friend of hers who um, uplifts like different women in different communities. And from there, I got to be on a part of her panel for her company um, as a beauty influencer with like huge brands like Kofi Beauty and um, things like that. So it was really exciting. And from there, it just like skyrocketed. So just through that job alone, I was able to meet with these other people and it helped me market my own brand after learning all the social media work i now know how to run that kind of stuff and implement it in my personal page to uplift like mm-hmm. my stem content and my business content as well so it has been a really rewarding experience but definitely a job position i didn't think was possible you know with my degree background
0: <laughs> yeah did you have any experience in content creating before like prior to doing it yeah, yeah.
1: So the only time that I did actually, um, I was actually the social media manager for my chemistry club. Um, and it was for like a year and a half. And even though it was, um, you know, nothing, anything crazy, it was enough to show that I was capable of doing that kind of stuff. Plus I was doing my own personal, like editing. Um, I also did video productions when I was in high school for three years, I love editing videos. I think it's super fun. And I think that's why, um, making reels are so natural for me. It's, I love doing transitions. I love editing Mm -hmm. footage, to make it look just like visually pleasing. So, um, that definitely helped, but that was the only experience I had. I didn't have like any degree in it. I didn't take any classes in it. It was, um, a lot of a learning process but it was enough and she was like you know what no like we'll try it out and now i have tons of experience in it after working with her what types of content do you create personally so on my personal channels um i do a lot of like i like to be humorous so i'll do like a lot of like fun and jokey stuff i love to do um stem content a lot too i like to share other scientists who are um following me and you know, connect people. The biggest thing about my platform is I like to help other people where I didn't get that help. So like I had mentioned before my community college, I did not have a lot of STEM support. And when people come to me and they're like, hey, like, could you help me out with this? I'm like, yes, here's this resource. Here's this resource. And they're like, why are you being so helpful? And I'm like, I wanna uplift people where I wasn't uplifted. Like if I had these resources when I was in their place, I would have been who knows where but I had to struggle to where I got to and I don't think that's the case for everybody if we are able to just like share and uplift everybody else like who knows what we can really achieve and I feel like people don't know about opportunities or especially in STEM a lot of them are scared to get into the field because people tell them that they can't do it when in reality they just kind of hide all the information like there's so much money and scholarships for all these like different programs but no one approaches it because they're told that they couldn't and I don't think it's right. So everything on my profile is to really just network and give people any resources they need to be successful in STEM.
0: Uh, What about like for your traveling, um, your friends, like traveling nonprofit, what type of content did you create for that? So, that one is a lot of
1: social impact stuff. So, tons of it is just like sharing um, the different people that you meet too. But we partner with a lot of uh, nonprofits. So, a lot of times too, we'll explain like the history and the background of some of those groups. So, for instance, um, they have a trip that's going to Tanzania. And when you go to Tanzania, it's just not, it's not just a vacation. Like, you're, actively being a volunteer and doing stuff too. So like on the first couple of days that they were out there, like the travelers who went, um, they raised over $2,500 and that was able to purchase um, 250 solar panels for villages out there to give them a resource and energy light. And so they were able to exchange the money for the solar panels and they hand distributed them to those different villages. And so a lot of the content I make for that is showing that kind of stuff and sharing different experiences and um, explaining more about social impact and why we need it with travel and um, having the chemistry background and uh, the cosmetic background. It actually helps me when talking about sustainable resourcing and things like that with this company, just because a lot of times people can say like, oh, we want to be like clean because X, Y, and Z, whereas maybe they don't have like the background to explain it my kind of background does help elevate that and explain why we need it because we can see it from a science standpoint and she can see it from a social standpoint because she's traveled to over 43 plus countries um oh, wow. yeah all over the world so she sees it like firsthand because of her travel experiences whereas mm-hmm. I can see it from like a science standpoint and it just it collides mm-hmm. and it makes so much more
0: sense and- um, do you have any tips that you or I guess lesson yeah I would say tips you would be willing to share for someone who's trying to market their like whatever event they want fundraiser or I mean people for I guess influencers like market yourself right as a brand you could say um, I think the best tip I can offer there is you know
1: be yourself, honestly, mm-hmm. like don't try and make a front and say like that you're somebody else that you're not like, just be real with yourself and it'll reflect in what you're trying to do. Um, being consistent is super important, especially with Instagram. If that's where you want your following to be, you've got to be really uh, consistent and reach out to people, uh, network and learn from others. There's so many resources that people put out there and get completely looked over, but Um, there's a lot of people who want to support you. And if you surround yourself with people like that, following content or creators who do that kind of stuff too, they're going to want to support you. And um, eight times out of 10, if you do like message those people or email them, they will respond to you. Even if they're like, hey, I'm a little busy, but I'll get back to you later. Or if Mm -hmm. they immediately, they want to help you out. A lot of them do. Like they really like to support the community that they're making this content for. So um myself included so if you ever want like more questions answered or like any kind of like ideas or resources I'm that type of person that you can you can dm me you can email me like message me anywhere you find me on social media and I guarantee at, at some point I'm going to respond <laughs>
0: thanks <laughs> <laughs> um yeah those are all the questions that we have for you today Claire
2: any? I don't have anything else in particular.
0: It was really, really nice talking to you. I think we've gone like an hour and an hour and a uh, half. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: No, but it was a, it was a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me again.
0: Um, Thank you guys so much for listening and have a good Sunday.